morning, um, I'm sure that, that most of us have been made aware of, by one means or another, the problem of the, the hungry and the homeless. <clears throat> Many of us have seen, as we've uh, entered freeway entrances or exited, we've seen families sometimes, men or women, sometimes both, with children that hold up signs saying, hungry, need food, homeless, a variety of different signs, a war veteran, you know, please help, uh, you know, bless you, that type of thing. We see that throughout our society. And so we've been made aware of the needs of the hungry and the homeless. And the, the problem of the hungry and homeless is a serious problem, and it's a serious moral issue. And uh, for many of us, we've not been made aware of it and it hasn't been something that has been brought to our attention, you know, from a, from a local standpoint. You know, it's a type of thing that we used to see accounts of starving children in Bangladesh or the work that Mother Teresa does in Calcutta um, or, you know, the, the situation that's going on in Somalia and now Rwanda. And uh, we, see, we see it from a distance. And as anything from a distance, it tends not to have quite the same impact as it does when it's right in your face. And uh, so as we take a look at this, the number of homeless and the number of those who are homeless in the United States range anywhere from a half a million to three million. And uh, there's debates that rage in cities as to public accessibility of the homeless, whether they should be allowed to be in public parks or on government buildings or properties, whether they should be allowed to sleep in the streets, whether we should erect tent shelters or tent cities, so to speak, in order to meet this need. And uh, it's obvious that something seriously has happened in America over the last generation. And I believe the reasons for this rapidly changing social climate are, in many cases, spiritual in origin. Now, that's not to say that every person that is hungry or every person that is homeless or has some type of need uh, has that need because of some direct result of something that they did or did not do. That's, let, let, let me make that very clear. But I also believe that many of the results that we see in our society are symptoms of a deeper problem. And oftentimes that deeper problem are spiritual in nature. The origins of such problems are what we need to deal with. Because as so often is the case, we continue to deal with symptoms and yet we don't get to the root issues. And so in this particular session, what I'd like to do is look at the problem of the hungry and homeless and try to get to the root issues and look at what the symptoms are, but more from the standpoint that we can see it, recognize what they are, and then get to the root issues. You know, it's, it's difficult at times because according to the Bible, there are those who deserve to be helped and there are those who do not deserve to be helped. And it's fascinating as you consider in this age of psychology, when you consider such terms as codependency and enabling and enablement and things of that nature, uh, that as we look at what God has to say, very clearly he indicates there are some people who deserve to be helped and we should help and there are other people who don't and we should not. But it's difficult knowing the difference between the two. I, I was thinking a subtitle in this message, something like, uh, which friends and relatives to help and which ones to tell take a hike. Um, <laughs> but it, it just seems so insensitive. And, you know, me, Mr. Compassion, I thought that, you know, we needed somehow or another make it so that it would be a little bit more considerate. But really, when you think about it, because that's what it really boils down to. There's a whole bunch of people that need help. The world is filled with needy people. But there are only so many people that we're able to help. 
And the difficulty is knowing the difference between the two. And I need as much help as I can get. And thank God that he gives us some guidelines that will help us to identify the difference between these two groups of people. And he gives us guidelines to help us and, and to identify who we should help and who we shouldn't help. So we're basically going to take a look at four things. Number one, we're going to consider these four things. Number one, we're going to look at the reality of poverty. There's no question that poverty exists, but we're going to look at the reality of poverty. We're going to look at the relationship of God to the poor. We're also going to look at nine reasons God says that we will experience poverty in our own life, which helps us to understand the difference between those who are suffering the consequences of their action versus those who do not. And then finally, we'll look at our response because we need to understand what should we do about it. How do we respond to someone standing on a, on a street corner? How do we respond to a friend or a relative or someone in our family who, who addresses us with a certain need? How, what do we do? Should we do anything? And, uh, and those are all valid questions and are all difficult ones and we've all gone through them. So I, I think this is very relevant, it's practical, and it's going to be of tremendous help to every one of us. So number one, let's take a look at the first thing we talked about, and that is we're going to look at the reality of poverty. The reality of poverty. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 14. As if we need to be reminded, there are some things about poverty that we need to understand. <clears throat> In Mark chapter 14, Jesus addresses the whole issue of poverty in this particular session. In Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 11, God tells the nation of Israel, Hey, you know what? The poor, there will always be poor in the land. And so we need to be aware of that. There will always be poor in the land. In Mark chapter 14, verses 3 through 9, we have the same thing. And Jesus emphasizes the same thought, where he says this, And while he was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper, he was reclining at a table. And there came a woman with an alabaster vial of very costly perfume of pure nard. She broke the vial, she poured it over his head. But some were indignantly remarking to one another, Why has this perfume been wasted? For this perfume might have been sold for over 300 denarii, and the money could have been given to the poor. And they were scolding her for what she did. But Jesus said, Let her alone. Why do you bother her? She has done a good deed for me, to me. For the poor you will always have with you. And whenever you wish, you can do them good. But you do not always have me. For the poor you always have them with you. But for me, you will not always have me here. And whenever you want to help the poor, you'll be able to help the poor. There's ample opportunities. And so the first fact that we find in the Bible is that Jesus says, and the Bible continually emphasizes the point, that the poor will always be here. And it's interesting because sometimes it takes that harsh reality to have us recognize some things that we tend to forget. And that is simply this. The poor will always be with us. I will guarantee you, based on the authority of the Bible, that we will always have the poor while we are here on this earth. That's a fact of reality. And if it's not in your family, and if it's not in your neighborhood, it'll be down the street, it'll be in another town, it'll be another city, it'll be another country. But there will always be folks who God calls as poor. And what happens, I don't know if it happens to you, but sometimes I sense a certain amount of frustration. It's kind of like there's, there's so many needs and so little resources available. 
There are so many people that are hurting. There are so many people that are hungry. There are so many people that are homeless. And every time we turn on the television or we look at the newspaper, there are accounts of it in other parts of the world or here locally. Or we drive down the street and now it's like every corner you see somebody holding up a sign at every freeway. And I don't know about you, but this is a problem that I have and God's dealing with me. I have a tendency to lose compassion and I have a tendency to turn my head and look the other way. I don't want to see it. I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to look into the eyes of someone holding up a sign. I don't want to look at them and I don't want to see the hurt and I don't want to see any of that. You know why? Because i got problems of my own. You know what I'm saying? I don't know if you get like that, but I do and I'll admit it and it's a problem and God's dealing with me. And as we study this and look at it, I'm hopeful that God will deal with all of us in this area so that we can begin to understand there's a fact of life that we need to deal with. And that is the poor will always be with us. And yet, Jesus says, you know what though? Yet you also have ample opportunity to help them as well. You follow that? That's really important. So the point is, is there's, a, there's, a, there's a, a balance here and it's very difficult at times. The poor will always be with us, yet we have a responsibility to care, to show compassion, to be concerned. And whenever it's proper, to help. But that goes back to my original question. I don't always know who should be helped or I don't always know how to help them. You know what I mean? And, and, and I don't want to be guilty of helping those who shouldn't be helped that God's dealing with. And I don't want to be guilty before God of being callous and insensitive and, and, and showing a lack of compassion toward those who I should help. So I've got a real problem. And I think we all do as well. So as we look at that, we see that the poor are always with us. But there's another statement that's made throughout the Bible, and that is, you know what, in many ways, the poor are like the rich. And it's fascinating because if you look through Scripture, you'll find, for example, in Proverbs 22, verse 2, we don't even have to look at some of these, but you'll see it and, and understand it. Let me ask you a simple question. In what ways are poor folk like rich folk? Give me just off the top of your head. Well, no, maybe you maybe, maybe, maybe better process it first. Wait a minute. What? They're all equal in the sight of God. You know, with people, God shows no partiality. Whether you're rich, whether you're poor, whether you're black, whether you're white, whether you're tall, whether you're short, whether you're thin, whether you're heavier, it doesn't matter. God shows no partiality. And you know why? God made us all. You see, God is the creator of human life. And so, rich are like the poor in that in the sight of God, God made us all. How else are the rich like the poor? They have unique problems. Poor have unique problems. The rich have unique problems. And we'll see that in a minute. And that's true. It doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor. And what you'll find out is, you know what? Money doesn't always answer all the problems of life. And that leads to this thought. The rich are like the poor. And guess what? We all die. Death is the great equalizer between the rich and the poor. You know, it's funny, I was reading through the newspaper this past week and I saw that Michael Eisner here, he has this quadruple bypass surgery or whatever. And the first thing I thought of as I was preparing for this, here was a man who's 50-some years old in his early 50s. Last year he made $200-plus million as the CEO for the Disney Corporation. And this week he had emergency bypass surgery and he was knocking on the door of death. And you know what? That 200-some million dollars wasn't going to solve that problem, now was it? Now, it may buy him better health care, and it may buy him better doctors, and it may buy him more time from that standpoint, but in reality, the day that God says it's appointed for man to die is the day it's appointed for man to die. 
And what's a wonderful thought about all of that is the poor are like the rich in that, you know what, we all came in naked, we're all going out naked. The only difference is that the rich folk have a lot more people that are praying for them to be checked out because they're checking out. Well, think about it. You know, I always want to be worth more alive than dead to my family. You know what I mean? I don't want to put them in a dilemma having to pray for my early return to the Lord so they can collect on the life insurance policy. I always want to be worth more alive than I am dead. Now think about it from God, now think about it from a wealthy person's standpoint. I mean, that's the difference. The only difference is when wealthy people die, there are a lot of people that say they're sorry, but they're waiting in line at the lawyer's office to read the will. And, uh, but God says, you know what, you came naked, you're going out naked, and you can't take a U-Haul with you. The pyramids are filled with stuff of wealthy people who thought they were going to go ahead and forward it ahead. And well, here we are, three, four thousand years later, digging it up saying, hey, you forgot something. It doesn't go. Never saw a hearse pulling a U-Haul, as they say, right? It just doesn't happen. And so what God tries to teach us is, is the reality of poverty is, number one, the poor will always be with us. There's always going to be a need to meet the, the needs of the poor. Number two is the poor are like the rich in that they, they're all created by God. We're all going to go out the same way we came in, and that's with nothing in our hands. Interesting, isn't it? The third thing is the poor are oftentimes better than the rich. Man, if there is a time where we need to be preaching and teaching this, it is in our day and age of people that think that money is the answer to every problem they have in life. If there's a, a, a week that I should be teaching this, what a better week than after we talked about gambling and how many people are hoping they hit the lottery so they can make millions of dollars, and guess what? So all the problems in life will be solved. But you know what? You don't know too many people that have money if you still believe that. I've seen enough people and been around enough people that have, quote, more money than I can ever dream of, you know, God willing, unless he try, decides to do something different in my life. But I've been around people that have more money than I can ever dream of having. And you know what I found out? They got a whole bunch of problems. A whole bunch of them. And look, at if you got your Bible, turn with me to Proverbs chapter 15. Proverbs 15. Well, you know what? We really need to be encouraged in this area because there's too many of us who believe that more money is going to be the answer to all the problems that we have in life. Proverbs 15, verse 16. Look what God has to say. He says, the poor are often better than the rich. It's like, I can't wait to hear. Proverbs 15, verse 16. Look at this. It says, all the days of the afflicted are bad, but a cheerful heart has continual feast. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure with turmoil with it. Better is a ditch, dish of vegetables where love is than a fattened ox where there is hatred. Isn't it fascinating? You know, better is a little with the fear of the Lord than much treasure with turmoil with it. I mean, I've talked to people that have made money and they say, you know what? My life was so much simpler when I didn't have all of these things. You know, and how often it is that we, we, we you know, it's, it's funny how we are as people, but we say things like, remember when we first got married? We lived in that one-bedroom apartment, and it was like so cramped, but gosh, weren't those the best days of our marriage? Now we're in this 6,000-square-foot house overlooking the ocean, you know, and it's like, it's just something missing here. It's not the same. Now, the funny thing is you never get them to move back to that one-bedroom apartment. <laughs> But they recognize there's a problem there. And the problem is, is that God says, you know what, it's better to have a little with love than to have a whole bunch with hatred. 
It's better to be in that one-bedroom apartment with love and a family. And, and, and in simple terms, it's better to eat pork and beans every night where there's love and a family than it is to live in a giant mansion and have filet mignon at your disposal and anything that you want where there's strife and anger and hatred and bitterness. It's better to live where you can actually enjoy the hot dog than it is to have to choke down a filet. See, God's saying it's better to be poor than to be rich if you understand what blessing is all about. And so we need to be reminded of this on a continual basis because there's many of us who forget the blessings of God in the situation that we're in because we're too busy believing the lie of the world that we live in saying, if you just had more, you'd be better off. God's saying, no, you're not. Some of the best things in life are free. And they're accessible to every person that God has created. Every person God's made could go out and look at a sunset. Every person that God's created, could, if they have access, can go down and stand at the seashore and look at the ocean or look at the snow on the mountains or look at the sky and the stars and the moon at night. Every person that God has made has access to all the resources of God and can enjoy all of those things. And it doesn't cost one e-ticket to have to enjoy it. There's no admission price for any of that. We need to be reminded of these things because God says the poor are oftentimes better than the rich. In Proverbs 16.8, he reminds us, Better is a little with righteousness than great income with injustice. Saying, you know what? You're better off having a small company that doesn't make a lot of money if you're doing what's right before God and your customers and other people than it is to be lying and cheating and stealing and being dishonest so you can somehow or another store it all up in your bank account. God's saying it's better to have a little bit if the little bit that you have is, is attained in a right way before God than to have all the money in the world if you've been dishonest and lying and you've lost your integrity in the process. The, the, the poor are better than the rich. There's encouragement in all of this. In, in uh, Proverbs 19.1, he goes on, Better is a poor man who walks in his integrity than he who is perverse in speech and is a fool. Integrity. Man, you know what's sad? Do you really believe this? You know, think about it. Do we really believe this? Do we really believe that it's better off not having a lot or more? Are we better off having what we have and being content with what God has blessed us with than always discontent and wanting more? Do we really believe that? And I'll tell you the test of how you know you believe it. Is there peace in your life? Is there joy in your life? Is there contentment in your life? Is there praise for God on your lips? Every day do you praise God for what He's blessed you with and not curse Him for what you don't have or what somebody else has? You see, the Bible says that the poor are often better than the rich. But the problem is we don't recognize it because we don't stop to consider that it's true. We need to be reminded of it, that's all. The poor are better than the rich. The fourth thing is considering the reality of poverty is very simple, and that the poor oftentimes can be examples to the rich. <clears throat> Jesus was poor in the things of the world. He had nothing. He didn't have a place to rest his head. He didn't own anything. And how easy it is for those of us who don't have things to identify with him who had nothing and to recognize he was poor in light of what the world had to offer, but he was rich in every other area. The churches in Macedonia took up a collection for the church in Jerusalem, and Paul uh, issued the, this particular statement in 2 Corinthians 8. Read it sometime. The poor churches of Macedonia, who were going through a severe depression and afflicted in every way, took up an offering 
for the church at Jerusalem, and they became an encouragement to a wealthy church in Corinth who had exceedingly abundantly beyond anything that they could ever ask or need, and yet they were stingy and selfish when it came to meeting the needs of other people. And they became an example to the rich of how God moves in the heart of those who are, quote, poor. The widow was an example to the wealthy in that she gave one might, but she gave everything that she had from her heart. And, they began, and she was a challenge to the wealthy to consider the spiritual condition of their life. You see, the reality of poverty is such that the poor will always be with us, will always have an opportunity to meet their needs. But we need to understand that, you know what, oftentimes when we consider ourselves poor, we're very rich in the things of God. And we need to stop feeling sorry for ourselves, and we need to start praising God. We need to understand that, you know what, we're better off than somebody who has many things because we don't even know, but we can believe what God says. And all we have to do is meet some of them to realize how true that is. You know, how can somebody with millions of dollars take a gun and blow themselves away? Easy, because money's not the answer. You know, how can someone, you know, and you hear this, and this is the only statement I'll make about, somebody, about the O.J. Simpson situation, because I'm not saying he's guilty, I'm not saying he's innocent, all I'm saying is that look at what God has to say, because the, the, the rationale behind some of the conversations I hear is this, how can a man, if he did this, do that when he had all the money in the world, he was charming, good looking, he can have any other woman in the world, how can somebody that has all of these things accessible do potentially what he's accused of doing? Simple, because those things don't answer the deepest needs of life. Don't you understand that? And I'm not saying that he did do it or didn't do it, but I'm making a point that we can all identify. There's, there's something capable, there is a capability of every one of us to do the most heinous things, because the Bible calls it sin nature. We can do some things that we never thought we could ever do, and we could do it under the wrong circumstances at the wrong time, and if we're thinking about the wrong things, it could lead us into the wrong type of behavior. And we need to understand that money doesn't protect you from that. Things don't protect you from that. And if that's not an indictment of the materialistic world that we live in, I don't know what is. Every time I see a camera zoom, on, zoom in on the Brentwood estate, I keep thinking of this truth, that riches do not buy contentment. Only a right relationship with God will ever be able to provide that. You see, there's a hunger and need in every person. And so God says, hey, you know what? There's a reality of the, of the poor. They're always going to be with us. The second thing is, we need to look at God's relationship, uh, the, the relationship of God to the poor. You know, how does God deal with poor people? And as we look at this, we'll begin to understand that we, we need to take hope and comfort because many of us, and I, and I guess this is the saddest part of it from, from a Christian perspective, many of us believe we are poor. Many of us believe that we are poor. And it's sad. Because God says his children, God's people, have access to all the riches of God. And yet we think that we are poor. Why? Because we equate wealth with material things. And we need to be very careful about that. The Bible tells us in Psalm 9:18 that, you know what? God will never forget the poor. He'll never forget the poor. If you're struggling with, has God forgotten me? God never forgets his kids. He'll never forsake us. He'll never fail us. The psalmist wrote, David wrote, you know what? When I look back on my life and I consider everything that I ever saw, the one conclusion I come up with is, I've never seen the righteous forsaken and I've never seen the righteous go without, that God has always met our needs. 
Matthew 6 tells us the same thing. Look at the birds of the sky. Look at the lilies of the field. Look all around you. If God provides for them, won't He provide for you? And how much more will He provide for you who are made in His image and His likeness? How much more does God care about people than He does about things? He's created things for people to enjoy. Contrary to the philosophy of the world today that you would have it believe that somehow we are servants of animals, God says He created things for people to enjoy and to rule over. The relationship of God to the poor has never changed and will not change. He basically makes it very simple. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. In your time of need, I will be there. Cease striving and know that I'm God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. All your ways acknowledge Him and He'll direct your paths. Or if you're going through tough times, the hope and the comfort for every person who's come to know Christ has become a child of God, is one of God's kids. The greatest hope is that we have access to all the riches of God and that God will not allow us to go without our needs being met. The problem that we have is defining needs and greeds. 1 Timothy chapter 6 helps us to realize with food and clothing, these things we shall be content. It's interesting to me, and if we went through it and we're going to take a look for a moment at the reasons why so many are impoverished in our world today, it's interesting to see how many of those people are God's people. It's an interesting thought. Now that doesn't mean, like the name and claim of folks that are out there, that every person that comes to know Christ, every person that becomes a child of God, all of a sudden is going to wear a Rolex and drive a Mercedes, and if not, it's because you don't have any faith, and all that kind of nonsense and heresy and all those lies, because that's what they are. But the bottom line is, is that God promises to meet the needs of every one of His kids. And I believe that He does. The problem is, we need to see it from His vantage point instead of ours. Which leads us to number three, because... Oftentimes, there are many of us who believe that God's distant. God's not there. God doesn't meet my needs. I need a job. I don't have a job. I, I, I need rent money, or I need mortgage money, or I need this, or I need that, and I don't have it. I don't have it at my disposal. You know, God, you're not meeting my needs. And it's hard. How do we understand all these things? And it really boils down to these items that we're going to talk about. And uh, <clears throat> these are the items that will help us to discern between those who we should help and those who we shouldn't help. So if you're ready, let's take a look at number one. The Bible says that the, the reason that many people find themselves in poverty situations is because they're disobedient to God. Can't get around that. Now, that's not what people want to hear, but that's what we need to deal with. See, because we're dealing with the symptoms. What we don't want to hear is that we've caused our own problems. We want to hear, it's not my fault. Right? Who wants to hear it's your fault? We live in a world of, it can't be my fault because it's nobody's fault. It's everybody else's fault. We live in a culture that it's no one's fault. It's got to be someone else's fault. I'm going to kill you because it's your fault. I'm going to steal from you because you have and I don't. That's your fault. See, that's how demented we've become. But God says, you know what? The reason that oftentimes we don't have is because we're disobedient. Look at Leviticus chapter 26. <clears throat> Leviticus 26. <clears throat> Look at verse, starting with verse 1. 
God warns, you shall not make for yourselves idols, nor shall you set up for yourselves an image or a sacred pillar, nor shall you place a figured stone in your land to bow down to it. For I am the Lord your God. You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary, for I am the Lord. If you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments so to carry them out, then I will give you rains in their season so that the land will yield its produce and the trees of the field will bear their fruit. God's saying, if you honor me and you keep me first, then I'll bless you. I'll bless your efforts. I'll bless your land. I'll bring rain from, from heaven. Uh, I'll, I'll water your crops. I'll bring forth crops from the ground. If you keep me first and you don't keep, bring, put others before me, then we'll have a great relationship together. But he also warns, he said, now if you don't do that, then guess what I'm going to do? In verse 17, I'll set my face against you so that you'll be struck down before your enemies. If you do these things and you don't obey me, then I'll punish you seven times more for your sins. And I'll also break down your pride of power. I'll also make your sky like iron and your earth like bronze. What he's saying is you won't be able to yield any, any produce from the fields. There won't be any rain from heaven. You're going to work as hard as you can and you'll have nothing to show for it. And I want to ask you a question as you consider this whole series on the moral decline of our nation. But how much of the poverty are we experiencing in our country as a result of our disobedience to God? How much economic impact are we facing because of our disobedience to God? Because we've put others or other things or philosophies before God. Because we've bowed down and worshipped materialism and other things instead of worshipping God. I've got to ask some questions because I run through a list in my mind and you consider the economic impact of it. Poverty is a symptom of many cases of our disobedience to God. Consider these things. How about divorce? God hates divorce. And except for sexual immorality and except for the desertion of a non-believing spouse to a believing spouse, God says, thou shalt not be divorced. I hate divorce. Yet 53% of the people in our country get divorced. And you know what happens as a result of it? Let me just share a couple of things with you. As it results to the poverty levels in our country or dependent upon public assistance and people that are in a situation like that, it says children and single parent families are six times likely to be poor. Children and single families are three times more likely to have emotional or behavioral problems, more likely to drop out of high school, to get pregnant as teenagers, to abuse drugs and alcohol, to be in trouble with the law and unable to hold a steady job. Let me ask you a question. Does divorce have an economic impact on our country? Absolutely. You better believe it. What's the symptom? The symptom is hungry and homeless. But when we get down to the root of it, what are we discovering? We're discovering deadbeat dads. We're discovering people that have run from their responsibilities to take care of their family and to provide for them. And what happens is the government jumps in and says, I guess that's our responsibility to do it. And as a result, all of us as taxpayers jump in and help out as well. We've got people on welfare, people on public assistance. We've got aided dependent families. I'm going to ask a question, and they're difficult issues to ask, but the simple matter is, don't you see that disobedience to God has serious consequences. See what's happening here? We're deceiving ourselves into believing we can live any lifestyle that we want and it's not going to impact us in any way. How about abortion? Think about the economic impact of abortion. Think about the lost productivity of a generation that we have slaughtered in our country trying to call them anything but human beings. Think about what's happening. I read a report not long ago on the lost economy of, abor of abortion. It's, a, it's an amazing thing. But think about it from the standpoint of we've taken over the last 25 years a generation of children who would be productive in our society. Who knows? Maybe the cure for cancer was one of those kids. I don't know. I don't understand these things. But we've got to ask ourselves some difficult questions. 
Who knows? But we do know this. The productivity of a generation has been lost because they're not here to produce. And we look at children in our culture as a liability instead of an asset. But God says that children are a blessing. They're an asset. They are to be productive in our society. They're to produce something tangible for the good of people. The experts call it the graying of America. But what it means very simply is this. There no longer is a foundation or a base to support everyone who's going to be ready to retire. And let me tell you something, and that's what's dangerous about euthanasia. And you better wake up and you better believe it and you better understand it because when you're no longer productive to a society that can't afford you, it will find some way to get rid of you all in the name of humanity. Man, that's a scary thought. We'll deal with that in the next session. But think about this. Think about it from the standpoint that we've got a generation of older people who are trying to retire and we have no young people in our society that are producing to pay the tab. Think about drunkenness and drug abuse. Think about the lost production. Think about the theft. Think about all that goes along with that type of lifestyle. I want you to think about, you go in, we went into depth of all of it, but think about sexual promiscuity. Think about sex outside of marriage, which is in, a direct, in direct disobedience to the mandates of God. You think about some of the things that we've talked about, sex outside of marriage. How many of you saw this article this past week? It, it's unbelievable. <clears throat> July 20th, 1994, U.S. single-parent births increased 70%. Do you see that? Listen to this. With the, with the debate over reducing the country's welfare roles, focusing renewed attention on the rising birth rate among unwed women, the Census Bureau reported Tuesday that such births soared by more than 70% from 1983 to 1993. According to the Bureau, 6.3 million children, or 27% of all children under the age of 18, lived in 1993 with a single parent who had never married. A single parent who had never married. While indicating the annual increase in the number of children born out of wedlock slowed somewhat in the 1980s, the report also documented the sharp rise in those kinds of births over the past three decades. While there were 200... Listen to this. There were 243,000 children living with one parent who had never married in 1960. 30 years later, there are now 6.3 million. This is what the gal says. It's astonishing. She's the director of Child Trends, Washington-based research organization that studies adolescent pregnancy. It's really a substantial social change, and it's happened so fast. Folks, you know what? We've got to ask some tough questions. Why are there so many hungry? Why are there so many homeless? In a nation that, for the most part, never experienced anything like that. Granted, there are isolated cases, and we'll talk about that, and we're going to deal with that. But I want, you, I want you to look at the big picture here for a second. Why has our country suffered to the degree that it suffered? And there's no other way around it. I can't see any other answer than this. We have simply been disobedient to God. We've, sh- we, we have, uh, we've taken our fist and we've shaken it in his face. And we said that we can do what we want to do and there will price to pay. We can have sex outside of marriage. We can have children outside of marriage. We can, in the case of other sexual practices, think about this. 
AIDS and sexually transmitted diseases cost an estimated $16 billion a year. Who's paying for all that? Think about this. This it just it, it just it, it, it's so hard to comprehend sometimes, and it's so simple to see. God says, "If you sin against me, payday one day. Do not deceive yourself, for God is not mocked by sin. What a man sows, he's going to reap. Payday one day." And you got to ask yourself some difficult questions. How many people that are in need? are in the need as a result of disobedience before God. And I want to show you how some of these things are demonstrated. Let's just take this one. I don't think we can handle much more than this. Let's take this one. Let's take negligence. Let's put it into practical terms. You got someone in your family who comes and they want to hit you up for some money. Now they've done this several times. First time you help them out. Second time you might help them out third, fourth, fifth time, they start asking for a little less to make it a little more bearable to help them out. But you get to the point of, man, there's something wrong with this picture. You know, I don't understand. I don't understand what's going on. Should we continue to help them out or should we not? Should we continue to help out the guy who stands in the corner and he's working that corner for the next five years? I mean, where do you draw the line? I mean, what do you do? Those are, those are very valid questions and they're difficult questions. But let's take a look at some things that God has to say about it and see if we can get some insight. Turn to Proverbs chapter 10. Proverbs chapter 10. And let's see God's insight as to the reasons for poverty. Proverbs 10, look at verse 4. Poor is he who works with a negligent hand, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in summer is a son who acts wisely, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who acts shamefully. Okay? Simple. Let me ask you a question. Who does God say will end up impoverished in their life? What? Lazy people. Lazy people who don't want to work will end up with nothing. Thank God for that truth. Now think about it. If lazy people end up with more than people who worked hard, why would you work hard? Right? Think about it. If you can end up with more for not doing anything, what you'll do is you'll do nothing. That's called the welfare system. That's called aid for dependent families. That's called nonsense before God. And we wonder why the system doesn't work. What God says is, those who do not work will not eat. Interesting. Oh, this is really cruel. This is truth. And we all recognize it. No one wants to say anything about it. If you don't work, or poor is he who is, works with a negligent hand. You know what that means? If you do a crummy job at work, you won't have a job. Follow that? If you don't work hard and you don't do a good job, you won't have a job. If you're in business and you put out a crummy product and you don't work hard to put out a quality product, then the chances are you'll go out of business. 
And that's good. Because anybody in business wants people to do a crummy job and offer the same services that you offer and do it in a crummy way. You don't want them around long because they mess up a good economy. But God's saying is, you know what? But the hand of the diligent makes rich. If you work, you can get ahead. And that's been the wonderful thing about the United States of America. If you work hard, you can get ahead. And you listen to stories of Sam Walton and Walmart, and you look at stories of, of Goodyear and Goodrich and Ford and, the, and the, the industrial leaders of this country, every one of them said the same thing. They all started with nothing, but all that the United States of America ever did was an opportunity that if we worked hard, we can get ahead, and thank God that we had a country that we could do that. Now we're going to a country that if you work hard and you get ahead, then we're going to take as much as we can from you who's working hard, and we're going to give it to people who aren't working at all. And that's called socialism, and it's in violation of the Word of God. You don't work, you don't eat. That's harsh. Now let's put it back into something pr practical. So you've got a friend or relative who comes to you and says, Hey, I need some more money. You know what? Why don't you work? Well, because, you know, I tried it once and I didn't like it. <laughs> that's what it comes down to. Or, I can't hold a job. Why can't you hold a job? Because you don't work hard. You've got a bad attitude. You're lazy. You don't want to work. You want something for nothing. And guess what? It used to be you didn't get something for nothing. Now you do. What's wrong with the country that employs 5 million government workers, well paid I may add, to hand out $109 billion a year to 42 million working age men and women? that don't work. Is there anything wrong with this system? Yes, it violates the Word of God. That's what's wrong, that's the root problem. Are there people who deserve help? Absolutely, but you know what though? We can't recognize and we don't understand which ones do and which ones don't. That's why we're all confused, that's why we're all messed up. We got 42 million men and women who are capable of working and what we're telling them is you don't have to work and we'll just go ahead and send you a check if you don't work. We tell young women who have children outside of marriage that if you don't get married and you don't have a, you know, a man in your house, then we'll go ahead and we'll send you uh, aid to dependent families. We'll send you benefits. We'll give you health care. We'll give you uh, finances. We'll give you all the benefits that you need as long as you don't get married. And then we wonder why births outside of marriage increased 70% in the last 10 years. I don't wonder why. It's human nature. It's called laziness. It's called taking the course of least resistance. It's called if I can get something for nothing and don't have to work, I'm going that direction because that sure is easy. But you know what it does? It robs the dignity of humanity. God said that working is good. Look at a couple other things. Look at Proverbs 12, 24. We can do a whole series on this. And, you think, and some of you are thinking, well, he is actually. But um, <laughs> Proverbs 12, 24, the hand of the diligent will rule, but the slack hand will be put to forced labor. Proverbs 13.4 A righteous man hates... I'm sorry. Uh, the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing. But the soul of the diligent is made fat. The soul of the sluggard, I want, I want, I want, I need, I gotta have. But I don't have anything. Why don't you? Because you're lazy and you won't work for it. You know what's interesting is as you look around you and you begin to understand that there are certain principles that work for all of eternity. And that is that God honors hard work and effort. 
He honors diligence. He honors perseverance. He honors those who go out and work hard and then store up for a rainy day. He says, go out and work while you can work, and what you need to do is store up because you're not always going to have it. He uses farming as an illustration over and over again. There's a time to go out and harvest and to store for the winter. And you need to be out there when it's time to work, to, to reap it in and to store for future use because that's how I provide for you. But there are many in our culture who go out and work and then they spend it all and there's nothing for whenever things slow down a little bit and they blame God as if God's not meeting their needs. And that's not true. He says store up. We know people that live from paycheck to paycheck, not because they don't make much, but because they spend everything that they make. And they wonder why then when they lose their job or there's a recession or times get tough in, a, in, in their particular situation, they wonder why they don't have any money to live off of or savings accounts or things that are there to supplement these downtimes. And you know who they blame? They blame God. Not God's fault. It says save it up. I provided now save some for future use. Go through it and look at it. Failure to work. God says, man, you know what? I saw a sign once and I love it. It says, he who lives by killing time dies with it. Isn't that the truth? Think about this. Think about it. We're going to talk some more about it next time. But think about what God's saying. There are reasons for poverty. And crouched in many of the reasons, hidden beneath the surface, is disobedience before God. Negligence. You don't have because you don't work hard. And by the way, that sure is a different philosophy than, you know what, I sure hope I win the lottery. You know, there's some things that God honors and he'll continue to honor, and that's this. You know what God will honor? If you have a desire to provide for your family, then God will honor the effort, the elbow grease, and all the sweat and perseverance that you put in. God will honor that. God will bless you for that. But we don't want to hear that, man. Not in the world we live in. We want to hear that I can get something for nothing and I don't want to have to work for it. And what we need to do is we need to change every, every, every government program and every system that is in opposition to the things of God and say, you know what? We need to get back to the basics. Let's start rewarding those who work hard that employ people, that generate, uh, that generate and spur production in our economy. Let's go back to that because that's what's made our country great. And that is in direct line with what the Word of God teaches us. Let's reward people who do these things instead of punishing them and taking away all the incentive that they have to go out and work hard because they look around and they see people being handed money and benefits for doing nothing but sitting around and having a six-pack and smoking and watching Oprah. You know what I mean? I mean, that's the kind of society that we've become. And we need to understand it. Now, some people are going to think that's very harsh, but it's true. You tell me, does God honor those who work? You tell me, does God say that if you don't work, you'll go without? You tell me if the, if the Bible doesn't say, if you don't work, you don't eat. And you know what? And that's a statement of fact. And you may not like it, and it may indict many of us, but that, I don't care, and neither does God. And the Spirit of God says, when we're wrong, it's time to repent. Let's pray. Father, thanks for this opportunity to get together and just to look at your word. God, help us to, uh, to see the reasons for the poverty, God, and also, as we'll look at next time, not only the reasons, but help us also to see that not every person that is in need fits that profile, God, and we'll look at that more in depth. God, we just thank you, though, that you honor the principle of hard work and effort that you provide opportunities for us. And that's what we need to thank you and praise you for, that you give us an opportunity to make a living to earn our way here on earth. God, we thank you for that. 
We just pray that if we've been disobedient to you as a nation, that collectively we can just fall on our knees and ask for forgiveness. We look at the cost, the economic impact that goes along all through our society, and we cringe at, at, at what we see, and yet we realize that you're not mocked by our actions. That sexual promiscuity and AIDS and sexually transmitted diseases and uh, divorce and, and single parents and, sing, and, and children outside of marriage being born and abortion and all, all that we've done, we've done to ourselves. God, help us to see that and to turn from it and repent and to, and to recognize it for what it is, and that's sin before you. And also to challenge those around us to consider it for what it really is so that we will have an enlightenment from the standpoint of being taught the truth so that there'll be hope for our land and for us as individuals. And we just thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen.